Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're in our series on the book of Revelation. We've reached Revelation chapter 20, which describes the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennium. We saw that last time. Let's just quickly recap in verse 1. Uh, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and the great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And so Satan will be, and all his angels will be locked up, during that, so it'll be a wonderful spiritual time without that, all that deception going on. For, he'll be locked up for the thousand years. And then he says, I saw thrones and they sat on them. That's the church is sat on thrones and the Old Testament saints are resurrected and they're given positions of authority during the millennium and judgment was given to them. They're given authority to reign. And then it says, I saw the tribulation martyrs who had been beheaded for their testimony of Jesus and the word of God, they hadn't worshipped the beast or his image, not received the mark on their forehead or hand, and they were came to life. So they're resurrected too, those who were killed in the tribulation. And they also reign with Christ for a thousand years. And then it says, but the rest of the dead, that's the unbelievers, did not live again. They're not resurrected till the thousand years are finished. And so this is, this completes the first resurrection. All believers are now raised. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death, the lake of fire, has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ for a thousand years. And so for a thousand years, Satan and his angels are removed from their positions of authority. They're put in the pit. And now the resurrected saints will be given those spiritual positions of authority in the heavenly places. They will, we will rule and reign with Christ for that thousand years. And in the, during this millennium, the kingdom of God on earth is in its last phase before entering the perfect eternal state which is in the last two chapters of Revelation. The messianic kingdom will bring great glory to God. His glory will be manifested on the earth. He will have shown himself faithful to all his covenants. More people will live in the millennium than any other time in history with a population explosion under perfect conditions. And there'll be no disease and death, hardly. And so there'll be a huge population explosion. Can you imagine after a thousand years in the earth it will be abundant, so it will be able to support everyone. And most, I believe, most of these will be saved. And, uh, and so more people will be saved in the millennium than uh, the, the rest of history together. And it represents the victory of God's kingdom in history. And now we come to the end of the millennium and the final battle. One thing that the Old Testament prophets didn't reveal is how these thousand years would end. Let's read now. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven, from the new Jerusalem, and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so 
what we see here is that even though Jesus is reigning in glory, there'll be unsaved people there who have rejected the gospel, they've rejected Christ as Lord, although they outwardly have to obey his laws. Then after the thousand years is over, Satan is allowed to flush out these rebels. He's released from prison and he gathers the unsaved. They will find themselves responding to him because that they're unsaved and they will form a final great rebellion and attack of Jerusalem. And even if it's millions of people, it'll still be a very small percentage of the total population because that will be massive. And so you can see our present population has been going, expanding for 150 years and we've reached a few billion. You can imagine what it would reach after a thousand years. And so the prophecies of Israel talk, talk about Israel's population increasing greatly. So the, the bottom line is, although there's a large number who rebel, it's just a very small minority, I believe, of the total number because they will be living in the presence of Christ's glory. They would have to be a real fool to reject that kind of light. Well, why is Satan released? One reason that Satan was not put in the lake of fire earlier is that Adam, by his original sin, submitted to Satan and gave Satan legal right to try and tempt all men who were born in Adam. He has the right, if you like, to, to tempt them away from God. And in, in a sense, God wants every man to have the choice. So there's God who appeals to him and now Satan also says go follow my way and God wants every man to make his decision between God or Satan, heaven or hell. And so every man's loyalty will be tested. And so since Satan's been in the pit for a thousand years he hasn't had access to those born in the millennium um, until he is released at the end and that's why he has to be released because they need to be tested and Satan has a right to do that and uh, Matthew 25 says that everyone the sheep and the goat judgment only the sheep will only believers initially will enter the millennial kingdom but they'll be having babies and people will be born in their natural bodies during the millennium and they will not have been tempted by Satan, these, one, these new ones. And so they are still, however, sinners. They've been born in sin. They will need salvation through the blood of Christ. And so one reason for the temple in Jerusalem and the sacrifices is, again, to preach the truth. The sacrifices all point to the sacrifice of Christ. And they are declaring that man needs salvation through the blood. And of course, there will be very little death in that time. And so they need to hear the message that the wages of sin is death. And so that is communicated through those sacrifices. And so death has largely been removed. And, uh, and it would be easy for people in that time to imagine, because everything is so perfect, um, that they don't need salvation. And so that's why the sacrifices are there. So there'll be many people, they'll outwardly conform to the rule of Christ, but inwardly they won't receive him as Lord and Saviour. And then when Satan's released to deceive the nations, all the Israelites, by the way, will, will be saved, but he will go out among the nations and their true hearts will be revealed when Satan tries to speak to them. 
and they will join the, this rebellion against Christ to throw off his rule and they lay siege against Jerusalem. And so as Satan goes out from the pit, he finds no action in Israel, but as he goes out further, he does find willing hearts that will follow him. And, you know, faith is shown by actions and their unbelief is revealed by the fact that they side with the devil when given the opportunity. And so God is exposing through this rebellion, if you like, the lie that man is not sinful, that evil is only due to bad conditions like poverty, but now actually evil is in the human heart and this reveals these people, they've lived in perfect conditions for a thousand years, perfect environment, but they still rebel and they still want to destroy the good. So the human heart is sinful and needs salvation through Christ. And so God is proving again that all men need salvation through the blood of Christ. These rebels, they attacked Israel and Jerusalem, uh, but fire now is sent from heaven and devours them, and their spirits go to Hades to await their future resurrection and final judgment and dismissal in the lake of fire. Well, next, in Revelation 20, Satan and all his angels are cast into the lake of fire, their final destination, a place of eternal, everlasting, conscious punishment. And they join the beast and the false prophet they, who are already there. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In fact, Matthew 25, it says that the lake of fire was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. And so, however, justice dictates that all who follow and side with the devil and his, in his rebellion against God, they must share his same punishment and destiny. Notice it says, he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, now we are at the end of time, and the God is finally removing all sin and rebels in order to establish his eternal kingdom, his eternal state. And this has been his purpose from the beginning, that in the few thousand years of history, sin will be flushed out, sin will be dealt with, and then he can usher in an eternal, eternal state of, of beings of perfect righteousness who have chosen the good who have chosen God. And so now the devil and his angels are thrown in the lake of fire, the rebels removed from the earth, and the, the believers in their natural bodies in the millennium at this point, they will be changed into immortal bodies, and we will all live together, all believers, in the new Jerusalem as our eternal home. Well, however glorious the millennium will be, it's not perfection. It's not as good as the eternal state. There's still sin present. There's still curse and death, although they've been pushed back to a great degree. But God has something even better planned for eternity. But some aspects will continue from the millennium kingdom into eternity. So millennium, in a sense, is a forerunner, a foretaste of eternity. For example, the reign of Christ will not just be for a thousand years, but will be forever. You know, it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, or the source of everlasting life, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end 
upon the throne of David, it says, uh, to establish it from that time forward, even forever. So Christ's kingdom actually lasts forever. It continues into the eternal state. And we see that the Lamb is still on the throne in the eternal state in Revelation 22. It says, there's a pure river of the water of life proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then secondly, the new Jerusalem will be the eternal home for all the resurrected saints, even in the millennium. So we will actually, uh, in a sense, have entered our eternal state personally and our eternal home, even during the millennium. Well, next in the order of events, there is the destruction of this heaven and earth, this present universe. Some say this present universe will be just endure forever and just be purified by fire but not destroyed, but I can't see that. Revelation 20.11 says plainly that they actually pass out of existence. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. So the present heaven and earth doesn't exist, will not exist anymore. It passes out of existence. This present earth and heaven have been corrupted by sin and the curse and will be replaced by a new heaven and earth. Well, this is confirmed in Revelation 21. It says, I saw a new heaven and earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. And Jesus said, didn't he, heaven and earth has, will pass away, but my word will never pass away. 2 Peter 3 describes this in great detail. It says, but the heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word of God, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And so this, this says that its destruction by fire will take place at the time of the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. That's at the end of the thousand years. That's what Peter is talking about, the same event. There's the destruction of the universe at the end of the thousand years, at the end of time. Peter actually talks about God's timing in this. He says that God has a timetable based on a day as a thousand years. He says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. In other words, he's going to bring everything to an end after a week, his week of a th seven days of a thousand years each. And at the end of that final day of rest, the millennium, uh, he will bring the end and he will bring things into the eternal state afterwards. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God has a plan and a timing, and it's designed to save as many people as possible by bringing them to repentance and faith in Christ. And then 2 Peter describes the total destruction of this universe by fire, to, in preparation for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And he calls this eternal state the day of God because the focus is on the Father, Father God. Um, and the Lord Jesus will deliver the mediatorial kingdom, that's a theological word for how things will be in the millennium, where Jesus rules under the authority of the Father. He'll deliver that to the Father and then that's called the day of the Lord, but then in the eternal state it's the day of God. And Father and Son will rule together on the throne at that time. And so 
the day of the Lord, the focus is more on the sun because it's the sun who, who, who intervenes and reigns personally on the earth under the, the authority of the Father. And so the, full, uh, the day of the Lord has two phases actually. There's the short day of the Lord which is the tribulation when he moves in judgment which is a day of time of darkness, and then there's the long day of the Lord, the thousand years, the time of light when Christ will reign for a thousand years. And then we're into the day of God, which is the eternal state. Well, the, here it is then, 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It starts with the rapture, which initiates the tribulation, in which, actually at the close of which, at the close of the day of the Lord, at the end of the thousand years, it says the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works in it will be burnt up. And so he, Peter describes the start and the end of this day. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, this universe will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening toward the coming of the day of God? That's the eternal state. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So this present heaven and earth will be destroyed and replaced with a new heaven and earth. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so we should let this vision of eternity motivate our lives now, remembering that everything of the flesh will be burnt up, and only that which is of God will remain, the fruit of the Spirit expressed in good works. And so he concludes, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Well, Hebrews chapter 1 also agrees with this, and it quotes Psalm 102. And it says that Jesus himself will destroy this universe. It says, but to the Son, he says, you, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. Before this destruction, all living humanity will be removed from the earth. In other words, they must be raptured, for the present universe will be destroyed. So they'll be changed into glorified bodies, removed, and then the universe will be dissolved. They will get an immortal body, in other words, and take up their home in the New Jerusalem. So next we come to the resurrection and final judgment of all unbelievers at the great white throne. And this is the second resurrection to the second death. We read, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, that's Jesus, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. So the great white throne, like the new Jerusalem and like the lake of fire, they are outside this present material universe. Because the universe is destroyed, but still the lake of fire and the great white throne are there. It says, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, that's the unbelievers, they are, they are dead. Even though they're resurrected now, they're spiritually dead. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, that's the word for resurrection. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's eternal separation from God's goodness. Anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now the one on the throne is the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom all judgment's been committed by God. Those being judged here are purely unbelievers, because all believers have already been resurrected and, and rewarded. But these are all the dead, the unbelievers. Even after they're resurrected, they're called the dead. So they're spiritually dead. All unbelievers that have ever lived, they have died physically and their souls went to be in Hades, that temporary holding cell under the earth where they wait their final judgment. These um, would include those who were just killed in that rebellion, uh, that fire that came down from heaven at the end of the thousand years. Now God resurrects all these unbelievers and makes them stand before his great white throne. And that's why death and Hades gave up their dead. Hades releases their souls and death releases their bodies so they are resurrected and stand before the throne. Their souls and bodies are reunited. And Hades then is thrown into the lake of fire and the spirit of death now has lost its grip on everyone so it's thrown in the lake of fire too. So death, the last enemy, is completely defeated and now they stand before God. It's the judgment of condemnation. <laughs> and uh, Matthew 5, Jesus said that the unbelievers go to hell, to, to hell fire in their bodies. Jesus said it's more profitable that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. When it says hell here, it's Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. And he said, do not fear those who kill the body that ca but cannot kill the soul, for, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell, in Gehenna. So whereas Hades is the place where departed spirits go, Gehenna, or the lake of fire, is the place where uh, those in their resurrected bodies go for their final punishment. And so they're resurrected and then thrown in the lake of fire. That's their final place of punishment. So nobody escapes. All unbelievers, wherever they die, in the land or the sea, they are thrown in the lake of fire. And so only believers, only unbelievers stand in this judgment. Remember, the first resurrection of believers was completed a thousand years before. So this is the resurrection of just the unbelievers. And then it says the books are opened and these books contain a detailed record of their lives. Of all their works, it says the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. And so God keeps a detailed record of everyone's life, their thoughts, their motives, their words, how we responded to God and his offer of salvation or rejected him, everything we did, everything we should have done. Um, and these are already found guilty because they've rejected Christ. But God opens the books to publicly de demonstrate their guilt before God and also to determine their degree of punishment. Although they've already been found guilty, when they died having rejected Christ, they're, they're guilty. But at the resurrection, they receive their final sentencing.
and so there will be different degrees of punishment depending on how much they have rebelled against the light that God gave them in this life. And then it talks about another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. It says, another book was opened, which is the Book of Life. Anyone not found written in the Book of Life was cast in the lake of fire. And this is God's family album where all the names are written that belong to his family through the blood of the Lamb. All those standing before, of course, the great white throne, they've rejected this salvation because they decided to trust in their good, in their works rather than in the blood of the Lamb. And God opens the book of life just to check, as it were, to publicly demonstrate that their names are not there because they rejected the blood of Christ. And it says in Revelation 21, 27, it says, only those who are written in the book, in the Lamb's book of life, will be in the new Jerusalem. Now God knew, no, from the foundation of the world, God knew who would be in the book of life. It says, those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so Revelation 13.8 also says, all those who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb from the foundation of the world the slain lamb from the foundation of the world. And so God knew from all eternity who would be saved. And that was established before the foundation of the world. But we all have a choice. This book of life is mentioned in Luke. Jesus said, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Actually, God provisionally writes everyone's name in the book of life of the lamb, provisionally, because Christ died for all. But when a man reaches the end of his life without receiving Christ as his Lord, trusting in his blood, his free will is respected and his name is blotted out of God's family album. But this gives grounds to believe that babies, for example, and those who don't reach a mental, moral age of accountability, that their names will remain in the book of life and they'll be in heaven. This blotting out that happens when people don't accept Christ is in a couple of scriptures. It says, says, yet now if you d will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of the book with which you're written. That's what Moses said. And then Psalm 69 says, let them be blotted out of the book of living and not be written with the righteous. These are unbelievers. And then it says, Jesus said, those who overcome will be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his part from the book of life. So you only have this lifetime to receive Christ and trust in his blood. Otherwise, your name will be blotted out and it will be too late. My series on the book of Revelation, which goes right from the beginning all the way through to the end, verse by verse, is, was actually 29 messages in all of half an hour. And we've had it requests that... Uh, people can have the whole series together. So we've put these series on seven DVDs and you'll get all 29 episodes on seven DVDs and it will be 70 pounds and you will have all of those teachings together on that DVD series which you can use to, to show in, in home groups and in different contexts. So let me encourage you to get the whole series. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 
7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.